will be in uh, we'll be in Genesis two uh, verses one through three. Um, just as kind of a refresher here, we are in a uh, uh, a series this fall uh, through the first eleven chapters of the book of Genesis, and uh, and kind of what Genesis is doing. Uh, the first eleven chapters specifically is they are laying out a a, a worldview. They are laying out a, a framework. They are laying out a, a really aggressive, controversial way of being and understanding the meaning of life within the context that they are written. Um, the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to write these, and he writes into a context, and the context he's writing into uh, does things differently uh, than they should be doing. And so the book of Genesis is written to kind of reframe that and answer the question, okay, here's really what we're doing. This is where we started. This is the trajectory of where we're going. It's really helpful for us that though Genesis was not first written to us, that through the Holy Spirit and through the New Testament and interpreting some of this, we can understand how this applies to our lives today. Uh, that's a beautiful thing, a uh, real thing about how scripture uh, works, was inspired and was, was interpreted through the Spirit. And so uh, things that we've looked at are a God of creation. We've looked at uh, the image of God, and today we're going to look at the seventh day and God resting on it. Um, so uh, one of the things we do here is that we uh, stand out of reverence for God's word. So if you are physically able to, I know you just sat, I'd ask that you stand for the reverence of God's word as we read how he has revealed himself to us in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heaven and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we are uh, looking at this idea of rest, but we are looking at this idea of rest as suburbanites who are very, very busy. Uh, and, uh, and I don't want to make clear on this. I don't think I need to belabor the point, but um, we are very busy people. Uh, I think you might agree with this. Uh, busyness marks a lot of our calendars, bark, marks a lot of our, our headspace. We're just busy. But one of the things that I think Genesis is doing that is controversial to the way we maybe think about this idea of busyness is that it's speaking not of busyness. Uh, that, that, that the gift that we get here in these three verses in Genesis 2 is that God is speaking to an idea of rest. And so I want to be very clear when I, when I talk about this here for the next few minutes is that when we're speaking of busyness, we are talking about something that is actually different than restlessness. Uh, we can be very busy people, but we could also be at rest. We could also be restless. I would suppose that maybe some of our busyness, some of your busyness, I know definitely my busyness, comes from the fact that at the busyness level, that's, that's, that's a physical calendar kind of a thing, uh, that below that is the fact that I'm restless. And that's my heart. My heart is restless. And so as a, as, as a, as, as a result, my calendar gets a little busy because I'm trying to find what it is that will give me rest. Uh, and, and at that deeper level there, then I'm restless because I haven't looked to the original for what my image should be, but I've looked to the world and the Joneses around me to figure out what my image should be. And that's always changing, and that's very restless. When we look to God and how he rests, when we look to Christ and his way of rest, when we look to our final hope of rest, 
we're going to see something a little bit different. So what I'm asking you right now is very much for the work of the sermon, don't think busyness and rest. Those are different things. You can be a busy person and be at rest with God. So I don't want to call you out if you're super busy. I want to call you out if you're restless. That's, that's what we're going at. That's what the scripture is taking us to right now. Because if we go towards busyness, then I'll just give you a bunch of legalistic points, and you can follow those, and we'll say good job. But I think the gospel has more for us there. We are restless. We only find faith. Uh, it's only through our faith that we can rest in God. So here we go. Uh, I'm going to quote uh, uh, Hebrews 4, and that's going to be my big urge for you today. Strive to enter God's rest. That is it. Strive to enter God's rest. Striving with labor, with intensity, with ongoing pursuit, enter his rest. And I love that. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit of an oxymoron, but strive to enter his rest. Here are three words to give you a framework for that. So uh, I guess the big question we'll answer is how do we enter his rest? If you're saying enter his rest, how do we enter his rest? Uh, before that, I want to just explain what is his rest. Okay, so that'll be the, most of the sermon. What is God's rest? So here are your three points there. Uh, temple, holiness, and work. That is God's rest. Temple, holiness, and work. And if we add on to that, then you can go. Next slide here is more of the more easy, less erudite uh, kind of outline there. Uh, God's Sabbath rest is to be with him in his holy temple, in his presence, to be for him in a pursuit of holiness. And God's Sabbath rest is all possible because of him. It is his work, not ours, that creates that rest. There you go. Now, if you are way too busy right now for church, you literally just got the sermon. You can leave. Um, but I will glare at you the whole way. No, that's, oh my goodness, legalism abounds. Um, okay, let's just move on to something better. Point one, God's rest is to be with him. This is in our text here. I, I want you to open this up. If you have one of those ESV scripture journals, feel free to mark this up. I'm going to tell you to mark it up. If you've got a Bible that you can mark up, go for it. Um, my, my Bible is marked up beyond recognition. I can't even really read this. I had to print it out. Um, so here are three things, or two things that you need to mark up. Okay, there's poetry going on here. There's repetition. This is one thing we note when we read the Bible. Seventh day shows up three times. So you can do uh, that. This is verse two. On the seventh day... And God finished, okay, here's the next thing, the phrase, his work that he had done. Seventh day, his work that he had done. Mark those. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Super weird sentence. Uh, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day, their seventh day again, the third time, and made it holy. Hmm. Uh, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Like, this is like writer's block here. Why, why do we get this? This is the thing that I always say is there's a repetition. It's kind of like when we write over the word over and over and over. When there's repetition, it means this means a big deal. Seventh day is a big deal. And it's the work that God rested from. He didn't just rest. He rested from what? From his work that he had done. And so those are some big points there. One of those big points is who did all of this work and created the rest? God. God did the work. We must always remember that God is the one doing the work. Did the other gods do the work? No. Did, did, uh, did, did uh, man create some work here? No. We see that God created man in his image, and then the next day, 
there was evening, there was morning, and then there was the next day, the seventh day, and then he rested. I did the work before I even tell man all of the things that he's going to do and it all plays out. He says, here's what you're, what you're intended to do. But, but before we get moving on to Adam doing his thing, let's just rest. His work precedes his rest. God does the work. Okay, the second observation that we can maybe have here um, is that God blesses it and makes it holy. Okay, so this is something maybe for morning Devo study. This is super Josh Casey nerdy spreadsheet charts that I'm not going to gift you with today. Uh, there is a, a repeated pattern, the sevenfold creation. Seven days are happening. And, and, and if, you, if you take it and just go uh, through each of the days and you see all of the words that are there, you're going to see some things that show up word for word the same every day. And then God said, let there be, fill in the blank. That's all of them, all six. We get that. And then there was, that's in all of them. And we get that. And God saw that it was good, and that's in all of them. And there was evening, and there was morning, whatever day. Those are in every single one. We hear that six times. Now, I'm thinking of a song that repeats over and over and over. Um, and I'm coming up with a blank. If you just feel inspired to sing, go for it. Uh, but it's that repeat. You expect that to go over and over and over and over. And we get this pattern, and he's doing this, and he's doing this. There's a structured way to which he's doing, but we get this, and then there's this, this disjointed seventh day. Here we go. The focus of the creation song is on man created in the image of God. And now we get to the climax of the song, and it's totally different. Nothing close to the others. And there's something in the fact that it changes that speaks to it. So, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The song is ending now, chapter 2.1, thus the heavens and the earth were created. There we go. That's a nice little, 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 little bookmark there, or uh, uh, bookend. And now we get uh, verses 2 and 3. What is happening with the fact that, that, that God saw this and it was, it was good? He doesn't see the seventh day and says it's good. He does something more than that. He actively blesses it. It's not just good. This is holy. This is a big deal. My holiness is here. And he doesn't say let there be and there was. He stops. Uh, the word rest, I mean, you can go with Sabbath. We'll get there. But you can also go with just this very plain and simple. He ceases to work. He, he doesn't work. It just stops. That's different. There's something different and holy about this day. Now, here we go. Um, the, the, the last one here is there's, there's uniquely no evening and morning on this day. You see, the days, according to Genesis, were started in the evening and ended in the morning. There was evening and morning. But on this one, we don't have that. It maybe suggests that there could be perhaps an infinite sustain to the Sabbath. That there might be something going on there. I'm going to chase that sustain for the remainder of our time. But I want to note here that Sabbath is God resting, ceasing his work. Sabbath is not recovery. God did not need to recover. He didn't exert himself to the level that he needed to just stop. I think sometimes we go so hard because we're restless, and we say he did all his work, and I just need a day off. Sabbath. That's, that's not the same thing at all in any way. He's just pausing. He's saying, there's something here. I want to be present. And this is where this idea of temple comes in. 
All right. If you have a paper Bible more than the scripture journal, you can flip away. I guess I don't know how the phones do it, but go for it. Exodus 16 is this idea where God has possibly created a garden temple that he is going to rest his presence in. This is the big idea uh, here. In Exodus 16, this idea of, of rest gets added the word Sabbath. So we always think Sabbath rest. Sabbath is not a word, you know, that's, that, that's used in our translation of the Bible here. The Hebrew is kind of there, but whatever. Uh, it's rest. God rested. But then we get this idea that, that, that everyone's looking back. Moses wrote Genesis. Now he's writing Exodus. He's part of, he's one of the characters in uh, in Exodus, a real historical character that happened here, so he knows a lot of this. He's looking back in Exodus 16 on some of this, this pattern, six days, and then there's the Sabbath, or there's this rest, and he's kind of interpreting it this way. This really falls into the gift of manna, the bread from heaven. As they walk through the wilderness, six days you will have it. Well, it's like five days you will have it. On the sixth day, you'll really have it. And then on the seventh day, nothing. Rest, Sabbath, don't work. And if you do collect more than you need that day, it'll go bad. You know, and so there's really, really making a big space for and a big deal about this. So Exodus 16, then Moses says, uh, eat it, the manna, the bread from heaven, uh, today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. That's where we get that word Sabbath. That's where it starts to get that idea of Sabbath. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. It will cease. The Lord won't make it. You won't gather it, cease. Hmm. Okay, now we're going to jump ahead, Exodus 40, and this gets a little aggressive. In Exodus 40, Moses sits up, I think this is the last chapter of Exodus. They've been wandering through the wilderness, they're going to continue wandering, but this is kind of the end of the book of Exodus. It ends with the creation of the tabernacle, Exodus 40. And so in Exodus 40, Moses builds the tab tabernacle. The tabernacle is a tent. Basically, it's the mobile temple because they're transient, they're nomads, and they need to move it with them, and the presence of God dwells there. Poetically, and not accidentally, though, as he's building this tabernacle, we read that Moses completed the task, and I quote, as the Lord had commanded Moses. As the Lord had commanded Moses. We hear this over and over again. How many times? Just guess. How many times do we hear over and over as the Lord had commanded? Seven. We hear seven times that the temple is being built. The sevenfold setting up of, of the tabernacle ends with the statement. You can read it on the screen here. Uh, 40 verses 33 and 34. So Moses finished the work. That's what God did in the seven days of creation. He finished the work. These songs are singing to each other very, very similar. Verse, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It seems as though God is in the business of creating a space, a garden temple, or, or creating a space, a mobile temple, and he then puts himself in that. He rests in that with his people, and this is good, and this is holy. All right, that was a big, abstract beginning. What does this mean for us today? God wants to be with people. He creates a space, he creates people, and then he just sits in it. 
It's, it's, it's maybe a little bit. Too, we, we have a very flawed feeling when we, we go this way. When you think that everything is, is uh, you want to spend time. You, you love someone. You want to spend time with them. You want to just be engaged. You want to be present with them. So you work a whole bunch. You build a whole bunch of things. You plan a vacation. You plan this stuff and all this stuff around here. And then you get the people there and you pay for the tickets and you go. And then you sit there and you're like, <gasps> that's some of that feeling that we should have. We always feel like we have to vacate, vacation. We have to vacate where the work is in order to have that. But God's modeling for us, you can have that here. Your work can be here, and you can be here with God and with others rightly and fully. He wants to be with you. You know, just be busy and going to different activities and doing different things and planning different trips unless you find your rest in God. That's where it starts. We have to figure out how to be okay with God here and in his presence here and break from our rhythm here to focus on him. Or we can't actually really be with people. We'll be, we'll be using them to help us uh, medicate or, 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 or soften the busyness, the restlessness. So let's keep moving along. We've got, we've got some more, and this is kind of the big fun piece here. Point two, God's rest is for him. God's rest is to be for him. So God wants us to be with him. That's his rest. He's dwelling with, with Adam in the garden, resting there. Uh, God's rest is to be for him. So we're not just passively sitting there like, hey, God. We're doing something in the, prog- in the, in the process. We are furthering ourselves toward holiness. Though we, get, uh, though we get the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words of God, first on Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, which uh, these, these Ten Commandments, which are, or by the way, they're all intended to form the people of, of God into his holy image. That The point of the Ten Commandments is to, to give us ways to be holy. So this holiness is there. Uh, while we get those, the Spirit inspired Moses to then write it again and give further explanation in Deuteronomy 5. So I guess if you want to compare them, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, it's a great Bible study just to look at it and see what's different here and what are we learning of God in the difference. We can read it here on the screen. We've got a couple of slides. Uh, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. Before we go to the next slide, can you go back? Sorry. Uh, he says, uh, as the Lord your God uh, commanded you, six days you shall labor and do your work, but on the seventh you don't work. That's the big point there in verse 13. You work, you don't work. Okay, now you can go to the next slide. Here's why. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. My logical brain melts down at that point. <laughs> what? So we have this Sabbath where we're not doing work, but what's the reason of it? I would say because God rested on the Sabbath, right? No, no, no. Moses is helping us understand the intent, the purpose of this Sabbath. Because you are to remember that you are a slave in Egypt. You're to remember that God is a rescuing God, that God does a work of creation and rescue, creation and salvation. And that is what you remember on the Sabbath. Not just that you did a whole bunch of good stuff and you celebrate, hey, I had a good work week. There's something different with rest. There's something different 
with that? Did you remember God's work of salvation? That with, an out, with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, he saved even you. Therefore, it makes sense that God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So that you remember that. Because if we work, if you're like me, I work, I work, I work, people say really nice things about me, all of a sudden I'm not thinking I need a savior. All of a sudden I'm thinking, that's all right, God, I've got it, we're okay. Always remember you needed that. Always remember your sermon was written by God. Your sermon was inspired by God. Always remember that the thing that you just talked about with your kid that actually took effect was from God. It's not because you're an awesome dad, it's not because you're an awesome preacher. These are things that I have to remember. Because honestly, I'm not really awesome at either. But God is the one doing this. This is the Sabbath. You can be busy, but if you don't rest, your busyness is going to pull you to another God, probably yourself. So Jesus gives us a very help, helpful interpretive truth. Okay, so, okay, wait, wait. Uh, so this sets up what the, what the rhythm is throughout the rest of Jewish life. There are seven days, there are seven years, there are seven cycles of seven years, and this, this idea of seven and the rest is there, okay? So I know we're only in like Exodus and now Deuteronomy. We're going to hyperspeed to the New Testament and see one of the great ways of reading the Bible is that the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. If Jesus speaks of, New Test of Old Testament laws, it's really good to understand how he's speaking of them. One of those helpful interpretive things for us, Matthew 5, 17. Uh, you can write that down and then just go read the Old Testament and ask the question, how does Jesus fulfill the Old Testament laws? In, in Matthew 5, Jesus takes on the law. And he says... In verse 17, I think it's on the screen there for us. No, he says, uh, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, a law like the Sabbath. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So that's the key there. Jesus doesn't come to just throw the Old Testament away. So Christians read your Old Testament in light of Christ. Jesus comes to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Maybe even just a simple one. Go through the Ten Commandments. How does Jesus fulfill these? Not abolish these. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing when you go that way. Do not make a graven image, but be that image. Honor your father and mother, even to death, death on a cross. Wow, this is incredible what Jesus does to fulfill the law and the prophets. So the fulfilling purpose of Christ's work on earth is good to keep in mind in Matthew. Because Jesus violates Sabbath rules, like they're going out of style. Like it's, he's all about just doing the wrong thing all the time on Sabbath. And I guess that's kind of the point. They are going out of style. New covenant is coming. So naturally, Pharisees like you and me, uh, they get all bent out of shape when this guy who says, I'm the son of man, comes in and starts breaking all the rules. So now we get to this text, Matthew 12, 6, and 7. So in Matthew 12, Jesus takes on a couple things here. He, uh, he and his, his disciples, they go and they pick grain, which is against the Sabbath law. Uh, he goes and he heals a man who, uh, on the Sabbath, which is uh, really against uh, Sabbath law. So naturally, uh, it's going to make some people mad. But Jesus doesn't simply uh, break it. He speaks to it, and he reinterprets it, reinterprets it for everyone. And this is something that is very helpful for us. If we're going to the Old Testament law, that you have to keep a Sabbath every seven days. And now we're looking at with Christ. This is what he says. He says, 
In Matthew 12, something like this, the, first, the verses leading up to what's on the screen. Uh, didn't you guys read your Bible? It's kind of basically what he says. Uh, and then verse 6, he says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have commanded, uh, condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Man, he is swinging here. Um, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. The, Lord, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. We'll get to that, but I want to look at verse 7. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So if you just read your Bibles, you wouldn't get all bent out of shape. You would have understood, maybe I'll go this way, you would have understood that the principle of the Sabbath is greater than the ritual. Principle over ritual of the Sabbath. I'm going for something here, and it's not that you just obey the rules. If you just obey the rules and your heart's not in it, well, I guess you're wasting your time and offending God. And maybe another way to say it is, is the, uh, he, he's interpreting the law with the Pharisees, who are the lawyers, that the intent of the law is greater than the letter of the law. So in your own lives, it would be good to follow suit if we are imaging Christ to maybe ask that question. Am I really forcing the intent of the law? Obey me now. What is that for? What is the intent of that? Or the ritual of the law. Do I go to church just to check the box? Do I go to community group just to check the box? Or is there something that I'm supposed to be getting out of this? Is there a way I'm supposed to be formed in doing these things? And then maybe move toward that intent because you'll get a whole lot more out of it. I was a football player for one year. I got pneumonia on the sidelines uh, because I'm terrible at the uh, intent of what football was. Look at me, I'm massive. Um, third, third, third string, eighth grade uh, receiver. I was in for two plays the whole season because I didn't actually understand that when we did tackling drills, like I wasn't the dummy. Like I'm actually supposed to like try and kill someone. Uh, and I, I, I missed that. Um, and I curled up in a ball when a linebacker came to me one time. I did, not, I did not get the intent of what those practices were for. So game day was, game day was really rough and filled with, well, you heard, filled with pneumonia. Um, it, was, it was rough. It was rough. And I'm from Nebraska, so extra shame on, on that, which I don't know. I probably could have helped out last night. Um, the, uh, just as uh, Jesus uh, took this, he, he, he speaks to this thing here. Um, he says, there's a greater temple, and there's a Lord of the Sabbath. I mean, elsewhere he says that the Sabbath is not made for man, but the man, uh, or man is not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. There's something formative that's supposed to happen in the Sabbath for us. And so here's something that's amazing. When he says that something greater than the temple is here, he's taking this idea of, of temple that we just heard of, that God creates this temple to dwell in, to have, to rest in with his people in his presence. He takes this idea of this temple, and then he also says that the Sabbath thing is here, this rest is here, and he's going to smash them together. He's done this. Last week we talked about this. He takes the divine presence of God and the image of God, and we don't quite get this. It kind of separates and does two different things in, in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes, and he smashes it together, and he gives us a new way forward. He's going, to take, he's going to take this idea of the temple of God and the Sabbath of God, and he's going to smash them together in himself, and he's going to move forward. What is greater than the temple? Jesus. He says, tear it down, and I'll raise it up. And he's speaking. The Bible says this, and he's speaking of his body. He is that temple now. He provides that rest. Come who are uh, burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Your rest is in me. Your temple is in me. Your presence, stop. I do the work that you need. This is all in Christ Jesus. And so then it is right for the Apostle Paul to tell the Corinthian church, which then also applies to us in 1 Corinthians. You can read it on the screen here. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Wow, that is huge. Because of faith in Christ, the Spirit comes to prove to us that we are his temple, that the dwelling place is there. God has created us in his image, and now we are his dwelling place. Wow. But that's not where it ends. Point three, God's rest is because of him. And I guess uh, the the, the takeaway here is uh, work out your salvation because he has worked in and for you. So Sabbath, uh, I'm suggesting, is a recalibration of the heart. It's that time of pause uh, that we, we, we intentionally think of God's work. We remember his good works. We seek uh, his holiness. And so, uh, and so here's what we have. In, in Hebrews 4, uh, 9 through uh, 11, I, I would really suggest reading like Hebrews 3 and 4. Uh, it's, uh, basically, it's a sermon on Psalm 95, and it talks about how the Israelites, though they walked through the desert, they didn't believe the Lord. They didn't trust the Lord, and this was disobedience. And they didn't, they tested him, and so then God even says, and I swear they will not enter my rest. Their disobedience, their unfaith has blocked my, I swear, I oath, it is on my word they will not enter my rest because they have been a disobedient, disbelieving generation. That's, that's Psalm 95. And then Hebrews 4 is, is giving a sermon on it and explaining it. And so here's the last part of it, the conclusion uh, that I've kind of summarized there. The conclusion then is uh, on the screen. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So it was created. It was, it was ritualized. Christ comes in and gives us the intent of what that is. He fulfills it. He makes a way for it. And it still remains. We can still seek this. We can still go toward it. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. There it is. Strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Hmm. So that we believe, so that we believe that this is real. When I busy myself because of my restless heart, it's hard for me to say that I am believing that Christ can give me that rest. And I want to go legalistic on this, but I'm hoping the Spirit convicts those of us who need to hear this, that if our busyness is in fact because we are restless and we don't actually know what's going on, with our life, with our God. We don't really believe that this stuff is as powerful and directive as, uh, as, as, as God has, uh, has, has intended it to be. There's a, a, a level of doubt. There is a, a, a little faith that then will move us to image ourselves, will, will move us to creating gods of ourselves. And, and this is not the design that was there. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Because we see, if we look back, you know, at Genesis 2, in those verses, we see what is the pattern for God. In creation, the pattern is work, then rest. He works, and then he rests. But here's the, the beauty of the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
It, it flips. It's his, it's, it's rest in Christ and then work out your salvation. See, that's, that's the difference. He does a work for us so that we can rest. Or, and then he rests and invites us into it. When we enter into that rest, we're not just sitting there. We're not just kicking back. We're not just singing with the choir angels, which I hope doesn't actually happen in heaven. Uh, we, 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 we aren't just, you know, uh, doing, you know, long prayer visuals. We're not doing these. This isn't what the presence of God is. There's, there's active work here. Today, there is a work to be done. Work out your faith. And forevermore, we will be seeing something beautiful there. But I don't want to go to the forevermore. I want to stay right here in a moment. Philippians 2, 12, 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, here's the reason, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There is work. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we just don't work. There's a different kind of work. And our Sabbath takes us to understand what this work is. Our Sabbath is a time to pause and realize God has got it. God has taken care of salvation so that we can get to work imaging him, reflecting him to the world. My work day is not going to get me salvation. I'm never going to be worthy enough to cover the sins. Christ has done that work. And on Sabbath, I remember he's done that salvation. He rescued me from slavery to sin. He brought me through the wilderness. He's taking me to a place so we can work that out. And what is that place then? That, that forevermore place. I don't have it on the screen, but here, just a rundown. In Revelation, I feel like we're going through the whole story. We've got to end with the last book. Uh, Revelation 14. This will be in order. Uh, we read of this rest. I, I, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. That's when we lay it down, for their deeds follow them. I heard a voice from heaven saying that's there. That's Revelation 14. We jump a couple more. Uh, we, we go along a couple more chapters to Revelation 16. And then the seventh angel poured out uh, his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple. Okay, imagine, out of the temple. And it says, from the throne, and it says, it is is done. Oh, the work is done. The work will be done from the temple. What's going on with this temple? I thought, I thought that God was, I thought what was happening with this presence of God, the work is being done from the temple. Revelation 21, this is almost the very end of the Bible. This is how it ends. And I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Oh, that's where it goes. Where is our rest? In the Lamb of God, the fountain who all sinners and his blood is poured over the stains, and there is rest. We're just saying about that. And there is a temple. It is Christ, but then there is no need for a temple because the sanctuary is once again. That is beautiful. What we know from Genesis, what we know of the end time, frames how we act today. We can put those two in tension and say, what is, what is our work for today? So, we'll do that. Now we can answer the question, how then do we enter God's rest? So, we can enter God's rest with him, for him, and because of him. I'll give you more than that. Um, with him. God wants to be with you. How do we enter, with, uh, enter his rest with him? Uh, this can only, we can only enter 
sola fide, by faith alone. This is exactly what Hebrews 4 is saying. You, you cannot have rest without faith in him. So this applies to us in two different ways. Stop working for salvation. If you don't believe that Jesus pays for your sins, if you don't believe that he forgives, if you don't believe that God is a God who wants to be with you, these are real things. And that doubt that, 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 you, that those aren't real, that will exclude. That is the excluding thing. It's not that God says, no, no, you, 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 this, here, go, there. Um, what we're reading in this is that all are invited, that all are called, that the blood is, uh, is, is over uh, the sins of many, but only those who ask for it, who ask for forgiveness. That's where it is. When Jesus dies, everybody doesn't go to heaven. Those who believe go to heaven. Those who believe have that rest. And that, if that's you, if you think you have to be good, if you think you have to attend church, you should attend church for different reasons, but not for the goal of getting salvation. You should do things at church. You should give money to church for good formative reasons other than salvation. That's part of the working out that comes later. So you must believe it's a big, big deal. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. If you are restless, this may be a big red flag saying, you hate Jesus. Not if you're too busy, but if you're restless. But if you are a Christian, if you have uh, asked Christ to forgive your sins, if that is a thing, you also need to not lean back towards ritual. I think it's so easy for us to say, oh, yeah, 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 let's do the seven-day thing and, and, and a break here, and we're going to make these rules for the Sabbath, and we're going to do these certain things here or there, and I've got to have my break, and I've got to do these. Uh, you can also move into other areas of legalism, and all of a sudden you're checking the boxes again, and you just become a whitewashed tomb, and you're just hollow, and, and there's nothing there. So I want to encourage you, if you lean toward, as a Christian, toward the, the legalism side, to, to ease off that. Romans 14 speaks of these, these laws. Uh, Paul says, says, it's on one's conviction as to, as to what, what we do. So some people are going to lean toward, like, let's keep observing these things. And some people are going to lean towards, uh, maybe we don't need to observe these things. But he says, what, what's really there is the rule of whether, whether you think that you, you may need, I'm not saying that you have to have one day off. Like, I, I don't want to do that. That speaks to busyness, not to rest. Uh, that you have to have that one day off, okay? If, if you're thinking that. Some people might say, yes. If you are convicted that that's it, and I personally am kind of convicted that's it, so that's for me. Don't judge people who aren't. That's what he's saying. But if you are not convicted of it, don't judge people who are. Because the thing that, that, that those laws and those good formative things are meant for is for the people of God to understand God more and to love each other more, not to set up all these rules and follow them. There's a reason why we go uh, to Sabbath. It's for the intent of this. So uh, don't work out your faith or, or don't work out your salvation as though it's, it's, it's what gets you that salvation. What you do as a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. It's because you are a Christian. For uh, then how do we enter God's rest? Uh, for our holiness. We move towards that. So uh, one of those things, maybe a, a very, very quick thing, is that uh, the Sabbath happened. You know, and that was, you know, there was, there, there was a thing there. The, the Jews, the Israelites really, you know, held to this, and they still hold to this, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty strongly today. There's something else that happens, though. There's this term called the day of preparation. 
So in the, 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 days of, the days of creation, the evening and the morning, right? The evening and the morning, that's the day. Their day would start in the evening and go through the day, not wake up 6 a.m., it's 6 p.m. So they go there. That's how it starts. And so this idea of this day of preparation, so they prepare for the Sabbath um, and that. If it is something that you are convicted of, it is something that you want to practice. I have tried to practice this, and I, with the help of my wife, do a, do a better job than I normally would. It has been so transformative just thinking intentionally about it this way. Here's what it goes. Uh, let's say Sunday is your Sabbath day. It means that the evening, you can remove a little bit of that guilt if, 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 you, if you start shifting gears toward the work again. I feel like there's so many times I've just been like, oh, I'm not qualified. I broke Sabbath because I thought about my work, which is coming. It always is coming. And so there's some of that. But on the other end, and this is the one that's really hard for me, is it means that, that this day starts at 6 p.m. Saturday. And in our culture, that Sunday morning and Saturday night are very different things. That's really going to shape that. What if Saturday night was spent in presence with God and with people? I, I'm not saying that you have to just like kneel on your floor and pray all the time. But what if we shaped it that way? What if we most showed ourselves as Christians on that Saturday night? That's a different thing. That's a challenging thing. That's a tough thing. That goes against our culture. Surprise, surprise, Genesis is doing that. How do we enter God's rest? With God, for God, and because of God. This is the big point that I kind of made here a couple minutes ago is work out your salvation because he has worked in and for you. Work diligently today, knowing that the true work is God's, that your salvation is the work of God, and that your sanctification is something you do in step with the Spirit. So we may be busy, we may not be busy, but Genesis 2 calls us to reflect on our, on our restlessness. And so I really want you to examine that. I think if we just hear this and walk away unaffected, I think it's something to think about as we're driving to and from meetings, as we're rushing to and from school, as we're rushing to and from uh, different activities or even vacations. Is this something that's solving my busyness? Or is this something that promotes my rest? It's probably going to shake you up a bit. It's going to shake up the rhythm. It's designed to be a rhythm. The seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. God puts that in there because he wants us to know that it is a rhythm. How do you get better in football? Something Josh didn't do. You do repetition. You go over it again and again and again. How do we get better at Sabbath? How do we get better at resting? We do it again and again and again. I'll leave with this quote that I think is convicting and helpful. It's from, uh, from Wayne Muller. It says, Sabbath is not dependent upon our readiness to stop. We do not stop when we are finished. We do not stop when we complete our phone calls, finish our project, get through this stack of messages, or out this report that is due tomorrow. We stop because it's time to stop. Sometimes it takes that kind of discipline to enter into that rest. Let's pray.